Boyahun Nelet Herain Dan Carmini Hans met het putje zit handelen. Zoek, zoek. Topa met hem back. Dat was Willig. And the slimy toes did Gaia and Gimbal in the wave. All Mimsy were the Burrogoves and the Monarchs are Slashes. Hello and welcome to the ARC Audio Review, the podcast where we talk about the ARC books online literary and cultural journal. I am your co-host Nina and in this episode we will be discussing the theme of translation. It has been a very busy month with people getting well and truly stuck into the art review. We have had an endorsement for translation piracy, a consequent rebuttal, film reviews and the launch of a brand new monthly column, Translation Tuesdays. Here with us today to discuss this exciting new platform for translators of contemporary Scandinavian literature is the illustrious Neas Casanova Vico. In a short while, we will be discussing Neas' Spanish translation of Norwegian poet Ingevi Lodder's debut poetry collection, Buffa Eos Trist Naya Esosul, as well as chatting to co-host Ebba about the idea of stalking the writer. But first, Ebba and I are going to talk to Simon about pigeons. Hi, Simon. Hi, Ebba. <laughs> Welcome back to the ARC Audio Review. Thanks for having me back. No problem. <laughs> so today we're going to talk to you about your article for this month, Avian Abject Empathy for the Trash Bird. Yeah, which I feel completely deviates from the translation theme we were going for. Um, I mean... Somewhat. Um, <laughs> I mean, your cult segment was a little deviation from the manifesto, so we think it's we think it's nice. You're on brand. You're on theme for Simon. Okay, great. Exactly. As long as I'm consistent in one regard. Exactly. Um, so, do you want to just uh, introduce our listeners to to your piece? What is it about? Oh, okay. Um, so it started with a social history written by Nancy Eisenberg, which is about white trash in America. And then it spiraled from that into a sort of diatribe about pigeons, but sort of like a positive, like pro-pigeon piece. Um, so Nancy Eisenberg, they feel like completely disconnected topics, but I promise there is some sort of coherency. We'll um, get back to it. Yeah, yeah. we'll get. We're going to hold you accountable um, for that statement. Yeah. So Nancy Eisenberg's book, White Trash, is about sort of the American underclass, if you like, like the lowest of the low. And it's sort of a 400 year history of that group and seeing how a particular section of American society has been historically put right down at the bottom and what functions that served and so on. And I think the bit which really stuck out to me from that was how she talks quite early on about this idea of designating life as trash or designating life as waste mm. and what that means and what implications that has for how you treat people. Um, and then from that, I kind of spiraled into, oh, well, you know, we like... We also treat pigeons as trash and not entirely connected, but there's still that whole idea of like, what is it we do to someone or something or a living being when we suddenly decide, oh, this is like, this isn't, you know, it doesn't fit into creation in the same sense. This mm. is like, this is, you know, this is only worth it, worthy of like abuse or only worthy of like kicking out of the way. Disgust. Yeah. It's like, this is like a rat fly. And we you know why are rats bad in the first place anyway? Like, why do we designate something as worthy life mm. and other things as unworthy? I think the plague kind of scarred us maybe, but 
I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there is that. There are, there are definitely defenses. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Sorry, rats. But so, yeah, I mean, um, the whole rant about pigeons is this sort of like this idea that they're needlessly demonized as a group, if mm. you like. Like, they, they don't carry disease. That's a myth. Like, there, are, there aren't recorded cases of humans catching any diseases from pigeons. They're not any dirtier than anything else that you find in a city. They're only dirty because they wallow in the dirt that we leave around. Mm. Like, they're only in polluted spaces because we pollute the city. Mm-hmm. It's all about this displacing human action onto an animal as a way of, like, externalizing the consequences of what we're doing to the world. Um yeah. And I think it's quite, you know, it's like tragic in a way, but also interesting how you can even find these like instances of like humans trying to build psychic distance between like right. our like terrible actions as a species, mm. even in these weird niches like, oh, how we treat pigeons or mm. how we talk about rats or how. And we use know. language to do it like very effectively. I mean, you change the word animal to pest. Yeah. And then suddenly. And everything changes about how you perceive. Yeah. Um, and displacing like human kind of damage onto animals is also a really strange way to look at it because you could also look at like how on earth are these pigeons surviving in this horribly hostile environment like yeah. they are still alive they are still feeding themselves and their babies probably like that's quite, that's also quite Have impressive Have you seen the new planet earth? Yes, the one about cities. It's very interesting. It's very Pigeons actually get a spotlight in planet earth. That was kind yeah. of a nice move of democracy. Yeah, on B- the BBC's part, they do. <laughs> you also get this recurring trope in like settler writing, in like within like post well within colonial literature, where like a lot of early settler or colonial literature in like in the Antipodes, so in Australia and New Zealand, is like, oh my god, there's a snake here, or like, oh my god, like why is this like terrifying poisonous thing in my house? Right. You know, without realizing like, <laughs> oh you know, you're the settler that's arrived and colonized the space. You're the intruder on the landscape. Yeah. Having this snake suddenly show up in your little shack, like you're the one at fault here. Like, yeah. But it's because you frame it through like, oh, the lens of like, oh, you know, how does this impact me as a human? Because I'm the top of the pecking order and I deserve to be sovereign everywhere I go. Nice pun, by the way. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> Back to the pigeons. Um, and you also had a really traumatizing event today. Speaking of oh, pigeons. Yeah, weirdly, weirdly apt. Um, so I was late to record the podcast today because um, I was sitting at Nurport cuddling a dying pigeon, which was a bit unexpected. Um I think it had just been hit by a bike or something and it looked a little bit concussed and its wing was a bit weird. Mm. So I scooped it up and then this nearby Danish-speaking woman called whatever the the Danish animal rescue charity might be. no idea. This should be... She might have been pranking me because no one ever came. Um, So I was just sat there with the pigeon for 40 minutes. A couple of my friends showed up. We all hung out with the pigeon together. (laughs) My friend Leo performed last rites on the pigeon. Um... (laughs) And then we phoned up the animal charity and we were like, oh, hey, look, you know, no one ever showed up in the end. And they're like, oh, could you just pop it in the bin then? And it just felt a bit like, oh, well, hmm, guess that's over. And yeah, <laughs> it's it's in a little pastry bag in the next to the 7-Eleven at Nurport. So is the pastry bag like the empathy for the trash bird or I'm just... <laughs> it, it was Simon given a burial, but it was consigned to trash in the end. So, wow. It's a harsh world. It is. Well, thanks for having me. <laughs> wonderful, <laughs> wonderful topic. You're excusing yourself. That's fair enough. Thanks, Simon. <laughs> Thank you so much for digressing from the topic of translation to discuss yeah. pigeons, which 
turns out it's a very important topic. Thoroughly welcome. Who, who knows what I'll come up with next time? <laughs> we're we're guys, really excited. Um, Want to read more from Avian Abject Empathy for a Trash Bird? Please uh, head on over to the ARC review and check out Simon's article. Thanks. See you next time. <laughs> Thanks, Simon. <laughs> so, moving on from pigeons, we are now going to talk to co-host Ebba. A smooth transition. (laughs) (laughs) So smooth. (laughs) We are going to talk to Ebba about the topic of the month. So Simon took us astray and we love him for that. And now Ebba is going to get us back on track. I'll try. So Ebba, hi. Hi. And uh, you wrote a article, um, a kind review for the art review this month. Uh, You wrote about the documentary Dreaming Murakami. Mm-hmm. Translation as the art of empathy was the subheading. Um, and in it, you talked about this idea of stalking the writer, mm-hmm. which I thought was really fascinating. So the idea of all of the translation work that goes on outside of the the mm-hmm. limits of the text. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, this documentary, which I really recommend, by the way, it's really lovely, Um especially in exploring translation like as this kind of multi-layered thing. It does it in really interesting ways, like both cinematically and also just through its central character, which is, I should say, is the Danish translator of Haruki Murakami, the Japanese author. And uh, Mette Holm is the name of the translator, and she's working on translating his first book, Hear the Wind Sing. And the film just kind of like follows her through different conversations with colleagues and friends and in bars or at home or wherever and they're just kind of talking about their craft and like what it is they do and and how they do it and um there's this one part where Meta's giving a lecture and she uses these words herself she says you kind of have to stalk the writer um and the whole film as well you can tell this kind of obsession with not just you know I mean, it's an obsession with the literature of Murakami, but it's also, it's so much, he's so much part of it. It's like his world. Um, And I just thought that was really interesting, like this whole, this idea that being a translator, like she's been a loyal translator. She's translated him for like 17 years. Wow. And um, yeah, so the person being so much a part of it, like knowing the person, not just the language. I thought that was interesting. It's also kind of because it touches on the on the question of like can you separate the man from the music like is the book a reflection of 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 the author and because that's such a big debate uh within like criticism and you know if you're a translator and you stalk the writer so to speak right and you you try and understand who they are in order to do a better translation is that even does that even bring you close to the book right uh or is that assuming too much that that part of the writer is in the book or is it obvious that obviously part of the writer is yeah in the book and it's a super like difficult question and I think it maybe has more to do with your approach than there necessarily being like a right or wrong answer about yeah. that um I mean it's always interesting to think about texts both I think at least both as like you know part of whoever made them and also just kind of that like take on the text for yourself and kind of like go against the intentions for it. And like, I or, you know, kind of just removing it from its origins or purpose or whatever. Like those are all, I think, interesting 
things. But like when it comes to translating specifically, for me, it just seems like when she's translating from Japanese to Danish, those worlds are so far away mm-hmm. that if she were to really just kind of take away Murakami and translate Japanese to Danish in this kind of technical way, like it would be impossible. Yeah. Because there's just so much nuance. Yeah. And between the words, you have to make these decisions, you know, every time she's thinking about like, this could mean this or this or this, like, yeah. it could be the word like despair, or it could be the word sorrow, and it could be complete sorrow or absolute sorrow. And maybe it's kind of, um, they seem like frivolous, details but I think at the end of the day like they build the world yeah and they're really significant and so like how are you going to make that choice if you're not using um, you know like the the artist behind it who's who's kind of building that I don't know yeah and if you don't get to to know part of their existence or at least for example like be in Japan and understand some mm-hmm. of the scenes that are being described um, and at least experience them on your own body in some way. Mm. Like there was, um, it made me think of this translator of Clarice Lispector, mm. who's called Benjamin Moser, who was, I think, 18 or 19 when he was in high school and he read Clarice Lispector in English for the first time. Mm-hmm. And he fell in love with her so much that he decided to learn Portuguese to become so her translator. <laughs> and uh, because he just felt like he didn't, it wasn't enough like reading the English was uh, it didn't like satisfy him mm. and then he yeah and he's been like a translator of her ever since and written her biography and and he moved to to Brazil and I think was there for ages because for him it was obviously essential that he got under the skin of her. I mean I think with Meta's story and her relation to Murakami they don't go so far into which is an interesting choice in the film like they don't show him and they don't really talk so much about him in that way they talk about often when they're talking about him they're talking about his world kind of almost more like this Murakami universe and more than just like him as a person yeah I mean the way Meta is like translating his work she's really she it's not like she's appropriating it and making her own thing but she's using it to do her craft which is the act of empathy and the act of translation itself Mm -hmm. as like an art form and like for her to be to do that really well that means to really step into like someone else's world yeah and that's a huge skill that's such a skill and it's I always think from the other perspective like from the writer's perspective it requires so much trust because I don't know if Murakami understands and reads Danish but I, I assume maybe he doesn't and because uh, lots mm. and lots of writers obviously have their work translated into languages that they are never going to understand. Yeah. And they that must be so weird. <laughs> they have to just trust the translator yeah. to such a degree that they are able to convey their work in a way that they... Or maybe they just think, I can't control that and I just have to let go and I just have to let it go in the directions that it goes in and I'm yeah. never going to be able to... Um, have full ownership over those translations but it, I mean, you know it, it's their name that's on the book and people don't read it as the translators they read it as the writers so it's exactly yeah it's, I think there has to be I think it's like trust is definitely the right word and I think that it's not something that you just throw yourself blindly off a cliff probably no I imagine that they've built this you know have this strong foundation and go from there I'm obviously just like extrapolating but even when she, like, there's this great scene in Dreaming Murakami as well where she kind of is going to meet the 
I guess just the the publishing house, the publishers, and um, they they've designed this like cover for the book that she's translating, and they show it to her, and she's like, she's a bit disappointed, <laughs> and she's like, oh, that's no, but like when she's expressing it, she's kind of saying. Murakami wouldn't like that or I don't think he would like that and she's kind of speaking on his behalf as well you know even in yeah. the kind of artistic direction yeah. of the book cover which is so funny like it's almost like she's his yeah she's like his spokesperson for Denmark you yeah. know and she's like standing up for him even when it comes to those details and when he's coming to visit Denmark at the Royal Library to speak she's there to you know arrange like how it should be done and like he absolutely wanted to speak with her because i think he felt um a closest with on that level yeah i mean she speaks japanese so they must be able to kind of even discuss like even if he can't read danish she might be able to explain Mm-hmm. what she's doing I don't know <laughs> I really don't know how you do that I think it's so crazy too <laughs> it's also like quite a cool way to learn languages if you're a writer because you can just read your books in all these translations <laughs> you can sit there with you know <laughs> that's so true you like know what it says actually you know exactly you don't know. <laughs> well yeah. maybe that's a a good place to segue into uh, our other translation segment um, with Mademoiselle Neas. Yes, very exciting. But thank you for uh, being co-host and guest at the same time, Eva. It was a pleasure. <laughs> thank you for having me. Oh, the pleasure was all mine. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Hello and welcome back. So we are here in the studio with uh, Nina. Hello. Our co-host. And I'm Ebba. Hello. And we're here with Neus. Sup. <laughs> to talk about Ingrid Lodder's debut collection of poetry, Varför är jag så trist när jag är så söt? So recently on the ARC Review, Neus and Sherry have um, started Translation Tuesday, a new column, where they'll be translating uh, contemporary Scandinavian uh, literature. And uh, this was their first translation. So, Neus, do you want to maybe introduce the translation Tuesday, what it's all about, and um, what you guys are trying to do? Yeah, so uh, this all started with Sherry and I talking about how fun it would be to translate things. (laughs) (laughs) And it's basically just that, like uh, trying to create a platform to promote contemporary literature um yeah and like when we started thinking about it it was kind of like oh yeah let's just do something with translation (laughs) so we just talked a bit about it and it kind of made sense to have a bit of a focus and it also made sense to focus on scandinavian literature because we're in Scandinavia. <laughs> <laughs> and so. so Sherry's translating to English, right? Yeah. And you're translating to Spanish. Yeah. And when you guys did this translation, were you, did you guys work together through English to get to, or? Well, it was, I guess because it was the first time, it was a bit like, 
we were just doing things <laughs> without really thinking about it. But like we first met to decide what we wanted to start translating. And then we went through the, po the poems and decided which ones, actually the ones we liked the most. <laughs> um, but then it was mostly because at that point, like Sherry was traveling, so we, we couldn't really meet. So what we did was basically translate separately and then we shared with each other our translations um and then i kind of like made a list of all the difference i could see like main differences i could see between the english and the spanish one and then we kind of like discuss it was also like it's a bit i mean it's a bit difficult when you translate something and like you don't know anyone who can actually read the translation like <laughs> i think with english was a bit easier because like I could actually read it but with Spanish we were I mean Sherry can read Spanish but I yeah yeah you cannot go that much into depth with the comments but I mean yeah it was mostly like check the differences and then like kind of discuss them find a solution and yeah and then we had to send it to the publishing house so they would like approve Mm -hmm. um, they had a couple of comments and we we discussed them together, actually. And then just send it back and publish it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Was there like a... Because with poetry, it's often quite important, the visual aspect of it. And mm -hmm. I was wondering, did you have a specific approach to how you were going to make it visually look the same, like in terms of how long words were? Or was it mainly just like getting the sense and the tone across and trying to like match mm. the Norwegian. Thankfully her poems are like very, I mean, there's a lot, but they're also like quite direct. Um, and the ones we chose to be honest, we also maybe went for the easier, <laughs> easier ones. <laughs> like, no, but for example, the second is like very like, you know, it's, it's like article and like part of the body, article, part of the body. So there wasn't like that much trouble. Um, but it, like, at least for me, for the first one, like there were a couple of parts that it was like the, like the structure, the way you like make a sentence in Norwegian as you do it in Spanish is quite different. Like there's, yeah, it's pretty different. <laughs> so like once I, like what I did basically was like kind of first translate those things that were like more natural to like were easier and then just leave the hardest parts for the end. And there was like one part that I actually had to choose between like trying to get more into the point, like more the meaning or like the form. And I'm still thinking about that one. <laughs> in sort of relation to some, I know like a translator and she actually translates into Spanish, but this is, this is not poetry, this is fiction. And she never reads the book before she translates it. So she translates blind. Wait, sorry, what does that mean? So basically she doesn't read the book the whole way through before she starts translating. She <sighs> just reads and translates simultaneously. And mm. she's like a paid translator of, mm. of like fiction. And that's just her approach. That's her method. And I always wondered, is that because if you read the book in its entirety, you then also form a lot of very personal, very subjective ideas about it that don't necessarily have 
anything to do with the book or the words or the language. And I was wondering with the poems, did you form an attachment to them before you translated them? And then how did that affect your translation? Because were you trying to were you trying to sort of get certain meanings across that you had thought of when you read the poems? Uh, yeah, we actually had like one one of the one of the only comments from the publishing house came like I mean it was yeah, it was about the pronoun, but it, it was kind of like also the interpretation that Sherry made and I made and I guess the publishing house made because it wasn't like a I don't think it was like in Bill Lotus uh, comment but it's true like also talking about it with Sherry like there were things that we understood differently yeah and I think it it had more to do with the fact that or like we had read, read it in like different situations yeah um, I can see how you can become like too attached to a piece and start making interpretations that might not like might interfere in your translation. But I think like with at least like the contemporary the poetry that I've read, it is about like I think it's about creating meaning and like, you know, there is a or at least with this book I think there is a voice that you have to get at least familiar with to make it work and it's not necessarily a bad thing like having a very personal approach to something when you translate it because maybe that mm. is uh maybe that shines through in the translation in a way mm. that's really like effective i also think like I i'm just thinking like this thing of like not reading the whole thing and then like doing by by parts like I think just because you read it, I think you can also you can also be able to like detach yourself from the piece. But I think in that sense, like reading it the whole through, it could help you to understand the writer, like the the way like mm. the the way the narrative develops, like especially if it's like very like first person writing you know like or like auto fiction stuff like that I imagine that like it makes way more coherent because then you get used to like this voice mm, the style yeah exactly so I think I think in some cases it's kind of like necessary to read the whole piece just for the sake of like uh, not having to go back and correct that much mm. if that makes sense yeah I think uh, I agree and like the author when they're writing is probably not, you know, writing in that way, like, you know, chronologically necessarily. Yeah, it so, assumes a linear yeah. writing process. So, but that's, yeah, an interesting idea still. But um, the writer herself, this is her first publication, right? So you haven't... Yeah, well, she wrote, she made like this kind of like DIY uh, poetry book that it's like, sold out everywhere <laughs> um yeah and i yeah so you're like familiar somewhat with her in like a different context or is she kind of like this is your way of knowing her yeah i i read it read it and uh i actually read it after i saw her reading and then i bought the book and then i read it and i was like this is nice <laughs> 
this is interesting. <laughs> and then I was talking to Sherry one day and I had just finished it and I was like, oh, I think you will like it. And then she read it and she liked it. <laughs> like, oh, maybe we should start with this. Mm -hmm. So it was really like purely from the poetry itself, like that it's like this translation is coming from. Yeah. And the tampons with like crazy like butterfly moths flying out of them. The I cover mean, is who beautiful. is the cover? I think is it's so great. Nice. <laughs> we wish really you could like see it. it. You'll have to Google it. Check out the arc. <laughs> review and oh, yeah, it's there. read the translation and look at the picture of the tampons <laughs> it's very beautiful well i was really interested when you were talking about the differences that you and sherry had mm -hmm. do you remember any of them specifically there was one that was quite interesting um in the first poem like in in norwegian she says some like uh Something, something, and then she says, "Liu uh, sit." It's like sit, Liu, <laughs> which means your life. Your right? life, no, their or, life, but okay. it's like his or her life, okay, because yeah. sit is like, oh yeah, you yeah. know, it's gender neutral in Norwegian and Danish, but it's not in. I mean, you, like, she couldn't find anything specific, Sherry. Mm. So she translated for their yeah. life. Because people are starting doing that. And I remember... <laughs> I remember I translated it in, like, a very weird way. Using, like, uh, actually, like, her life. And then we talked about it. And I could find, actually, like, a sit in Spanish is su. But I had yeah. I hadn't thought about it because I was like so focused on the actual voice mm. that I just assumed that I should write her. But then we talked about it, and she was like, "No, I think she's refer like Sherry thought that the maybe she was referring to like her brother, like the brother of the writer mm. who is mentioned in the same poem." And I thought that was very interesting because <laughs> I totally assumed that it was a, like she was just like putting herself in third person, but still talking about herself, while her interpretation was that, you know, there was someone else as well. Mm. So that was, mm. I thought that was pretty so nice. So do you think it was like, it was kind of open in the end? Like, yeah. 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 And it was like easier for me because I just wrote Sue, which is sit, literally. <laughs> but she had to struggle a bit. Um, so yeah, that was one. And then a, f f a funny one. Is that the, she writes, uh, like, talking about body parts. And then she uses the word kionet. I can't pronounce it in... Kionet. Swedish. Providing you translations across the board here. <laughs> yeah. Ah, yeah, like Shonet. her. Like the like, sex. Yeah, exactly. And we had, because she's like saying like, I'll like, I shaved and then she starts like, you know, with like the arms and like the legs. And then yep. she said, shown it. Mm -hmm. um, and we just had like, you know, we made like a list of everything <laughs> that it could be <laughs> because it was just so dif difficult to understand whether she was actually referring because like from that point on in the next poem, it just gets like quite extreme and like you know she takes out her like bowels and like 
ice and stuff like that. Mm. So we were like, is she actually shaving her side of her vagina? Is she just like referring like, and like we couldn't find a definition in Norwegian. And like English was just very difficult, and like I didn't know how to translate it in Spanish. Mm. And we ended up just like talking about it for half an hour. And Sherry was like, "I'm just gonna call my sister and ask her how she calls, like when she goes and like shaves her down there, because then we couldn't find like a term in English to like, yeah." And so I'm just looking at the translation. So so Sherry used vagina, yeah. right? And you used um, las ingles. Yeah. What does that if is if if you would translate that into English? What would that be? That's the thing. There is no. Uh, there is a technical word. Is it? It's actually a technical word, and it's like a part of the body, like the part where like the legs finish and mm. the ah. pubis starts. Yeah, in a thigh. No, we, we, look, we look at it. We look at it, and it was like Sh- Sherry told me. Like we we Google translate it basically, and uh, yeah. But the thing is that. In Spanish, it's uh, very common to use it, like, uh, you know, in this, like, beauty centers. Then mm. they you say, like, you can shave your ingles and mm. your legs. But then we realize that in, Sp- in, in English, you don't use it. Yeah, I guess not. And then we were, like, Googling, like, beauty centers and, like, <laughs> shaving stuff to see, like, how it was referred. And the closest we got, it was, like, bikini line. Yeah, I was just ah, thinking that. your bikini line, yeah. yeah. Which is exactly what they would say in a beauty parlor. Exactly. Or if but you went to get, if you want to get a whack. Body yeah. part. <laughs> yeah, but that, that's no, the thing it's... in Spanish, bikini line, when you go, it's actually like part of the body. Right. So for me, it was like kind of like I decided to just like keep it mm. in a lower tone and just use parts of the body that you actually hear people shave. mm Mm-hmm. But yeah, but I like I like the fact that you used bikini line. I think that's like uh, yeah, <laughs> that's very also because the title of the 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 poetry collection, which is like, why am I so sad when I'm so cute, is also like because so nice. the whole idea of a bikini line is so like cute. It's like oh my god, I'm gonna get my bikini line done <laughs> and like make sure I've got no little fluffy hairs hanging out of my bikini line, and it's also like, and that's just sad because like yeah. seriously <laughs> like. And pain. Who gives a shit if you've got a pube sticking out of your pants? But that's just like, that's why that was one of the things that I liked the most about uh, this book. It's like how she goes like from, yeah, being like super cute to being like super brutal. And, but also like in a very, yeah, like she exposes herself in a very, like honest boy mm. while still like not forgetting that she also wants to I don't know I think it's like a nice I think it's something like quite admirable to achieve especially in poetry to be able to be like super honest while still not forgetting other parts of what it is to write and to live which is like yeah you you can can feel like shit and still like wanting to talk about nice things. I think she's nice. <laughs> she nice. She nice. Yeah. And you think like your translation when you read it, you feel like is it? Does it feel like the same poem? 
or how does it feel to you because it's actually like super weird also because it has been the first time in a long time that I've used the Spanish language for something nice <laughs> and not just like writing to like you know my old university being like dear whoever you are can you please send me a copy of my bachelor's degree um But I think it's also very interesting because like all the literature I read in Spanish is like so far away from whatever is going on in the Danish or Norwegian. I mean, it's not that I've read that much in, definitely not in Norwegian, um, <laughs> but maybe a bit more in Danish. And I, I mean, I think there is kind of like, you know, this like kind of brutal honesty thing going on and like there's like certain things that you can really pick up and you see that it's just like there um well I I haven't been in touch with that kind of writing in Spanish mm. the thing I'm most happy about is that when I read it I don't feel weird like there are things that I would still change but like reading it it doesn't sound like um alien to me Right. It doesn't uh, sound so much like a translation. Yeah, exactly. If that makes, yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, Because, I mean, culturally speaking, is this book just kind of like universal? I mean, it sounds to me like it's just kind of like, maybe not directly in that kind of like, okay, everyone can relate to this, but at the same time, it's no, not yeah. like it's specific to Norway, you know. <gasps> I don't think it's specific to Norway and like maybe my vision of Spain is quite distorted now because I haven't lived there in almost four years. But I do think that there are a lot of things being said in this book that are not being said yet mm. in Spain or like we're still not as comfortable. Mm. Like I don't think if I'm not like this book was like for what I've read and like heard was kind of like a success in, in Norway and like also here in Denmark, like a lot of people talked about it, like was it the, I think it was like in Politiken or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, and it's nice and like people like it and like relate to it and like, but I think like the there is like a cultural basis that is just like super different. Mm. Um, Is it in is it in relation to anything specific like like for me it's about the like female voice definitely and like again I haven't lived in Spain for some time so I, I I'm sure things are changing and I don't I don't keep up with like Spanish <laughs> contemporary literature which is kind of weird but like it I I don't mm. um But I just think that this kind of writing would be seen maybe as a bit more marginal of what I think it is being received here. Mm -hmm. Like I think there are certain things, like certain topics in this book that maybe they're a bit more normalized in Scandinavia and we're still in the process in Spain. Yeah. Now they have a translation that they can read. Then. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> That's a cool thing. Yes. 
maybe to round off, like going back to the Translation Tuesday column, <laughs> which is very exciting. Um, what can we expect from for the future? Uh, Tell us a little bit about what what's to yes. come. <laughs> well, it has taken us some time to like actually start, but now it's starting. <laughs> it's now. Super excited. Um, I guess it's not a secret, but uh, we're gonna. I think the next next month, we're probably gonna translate Kaspar Eric. <gasps> uh, <laughs> yes, because I mean, one of like the technicalities, like we ask for the rights to the publishing yeah. houses, mm. so that actually takes time. Mm. Yeah, of course. Um, but we have permission from Cluendel to translate one poem or two okay. from Kaspar Eric. So I think that's probably going to be the next thing. That's very exciting. Yes. Yeah, we're probably going to translate from the debut, 7-Eleven. Ah, from the debut. Yeah. Nice. Um, and yeah, I mean, we... Is he not translated into English yet or Spanish? No. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that's going to be the next thing. Um, we hope... Like, if anyone is interested in translating things, hit us up. <laughs> we can talk about it. So for people interested, basically get in touch if they have a cool, nice idea. You're open for yeah. many different suggestions and you want to hear from yeah. everybody. Yeah, and yeah. not just poetry or... No, no, also... If, uh, yeah, so we started... Erotic with... literature. Oh, yeah, all the literature. Everybody needs a little bit War of that. War literature. As many bikini lines as you want. Yeah. Yeah, all the bikini lines. <laughs> Essays. Uh, if it's prose, I think we said like a maximum of like a thousand or two thousand, between a thousand and two thousand words. Okay. Poetry, we've chosen like, this time we've done a couple of poems, but I think... Uh, if we translate Kaspar Eric, it's going to be one poem because they're normally pretty long. Um, yeah, just a bit of common sense, you know, like not, yeah. not too much, not too much. Um, and yeah, just like get in touch with Sherry or myself or with Ark and we figure it out. Oh, well, thank you so much for coming in and talking to us today. Thank you. And thank you for your translation. It's thank lovely. I can't read Spanish and it was mesmerizing you could try to read spanish i'm yeah. gonna now i'm gonna learn it <laughs> but uh <laughs> if you guys want to read it you should go to the art books website and then you go to the part that says review and then you go to the article that's called translation tuesday then you can check out the translations of two poems um by ingrid Lada. and if you've ever wondered why you're sad and cute at the same time then <laughs> This is the perfect article for you. <laughs> Thanks, Nails. Thank you. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye. We'll be back next month talking about a brand new theme. In the meantime, please feel free to leave us feedback on our Facebook page and remember to check out arcbooks.dk for more frabjous content.